We read scripture this evening from, second, from 1 John 2. 1 John chapter 2. We read the chapter taking our text from verses 15 through 17. We hear the inspired, infallible word of God. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. 
And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and be not ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we take as our text verses 15 through 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, when the doctrines of common grace were adopted by our mother denomination in 1924, the warning that was repeatedly sounded by those opposed to common grace was that it would lead to increasing worldliness. The 1924 Synod of our mother denomination felt that pressure. And they decided to send a testimony to the churches warning the churches of worldly-mindedness. Strangely, that testimony was never sent, but I quote a portion of it. When we consider the direction in which the spirit of time develops round about us, it cannot be denied that our present danger lies more in the direction of worldly-mindedness than of false seclusion. Liberal theology of the present time really obliterates the distinction between the church and the world. It is more and more emphasized by many that the great significance of the church lies in her influence upon social life. The consciousness of a spiritual ethical antithesis becomes increasingly vague in the minds of many to make room for an indefinite notion of a general brotherhood. The preaching of the word concerns itself largely with the periphery of life and does not penetrate into its spiritual center. The doctrine of particular grace in Christ is more and more pushed to the background. There's a strong tendency to bring theology into harmony with a science that stands in the service of infidelity. Through the agency of the press and various inventions and discoveries, which as such are undoubtedly to be regarded as good gifts of God, the sinful world is to a great extent carried into our Christian homes. Because of all these and similar influences exerted upon us from every side, it is peremptorily necessary that the church keep watch over the fundamentals, and that though she also maintains the above-mentioned three points, she vindicates the spiritual and ethical antithesis tooth and nail. May she never permit her preaching to degenerate into mere social treatises or literary productions. Let her be vigilant that Christ and him crucified and risen always remain the heart of the preaching. Constantly she must maintain the principle that the people of God are a peculiar people, living from their proper root, the root of faith. With holy zeal she must constantly send forth the call to our people, especially to our youth, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, in 1926, the same denomination sent a formal warning to the churches from the Synod, stating that Synod greatly deplores the increasing worldliness in our churches and the participation in all kinds of sinful and questionable amusements. Synod considers this to be in conflict with the holiness of the church and with that conscious, conscientious and pious conversation which is the true adornment of the child of God. It views this as an evil that causes many to deviate from the path of piety, that retards the development of spiritual life, that stifles higher spiritual aspirations, and that fills the heart of many of the children of God with sorrow. Therefore, Synod exhorts all office bearers in our churches to remind young and old constantly in preaching, 
and in giving instruction, in admonitions and in personal ministrations, and if necessary, also by means of discipline of the word of the apostle, be ye not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Beloved, a hundred years later, those warnings are all the more pertinent for us. We listen to the warning not only as it comes from the church of the past, but as it comes from God's word this evening. Love not the world. Worldliness is not a problem that's crept up on us the past few years. Worldliness is clearly addressed in the Bible. The epistles speak of it again and again. Jesus addressed it in his ministry. A cursory study of the New Testament reveals that worldliness has been challenging the church from the very beginning. And there's a wealth of material, of warnings on that subject. During the time of the apostles, just think that churches were established in Antioch, Ephesus, Corinth, Athens, and Rome. These were large established cities that were given over to worldliness and wickedness. At the time when Paul labored in Corinth, the place to which he wrote the letters to the Corinthians, there were almost one million people living in that city. And Corinth contained many idol temples, large theaters, godless living prevailed. And opportunities for worldly-mindedness were innumerable. John here addresses the saints in Ephesus. That's where he was the pastor. And he warns them in this passage. These were his beloved children. These were those whom God had entrusted to his spiritual care. And he speaks then with regard to a warning that pertains to us as well today. The antithesis requires of us not only positively to pursue the things that our Heavenly Father pursues, but also negatively to hate the things that our Heavenly Father hates. God comes to us and says, You are my children. I've adopted you and taken you into my family. Now love the things and pursue the things of your Father. Don't pursue the things that your Father hates. Pursue the things that your Father loves. And so what is our responsibility as young people? What is our responsibility as members of Christ church? As those who confess that Jehovah God is our Father. Love not the world. We take that as our theme. Noting first of all the admonition. Secondly the possibility. And finally the blessedness. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, as we're aware, the Bible uses the word world in many different ways. And it's important that we immediately discern how is the word world being used here in this context. John himself uses the word world in at least three different ways, as we've noted in the past, throughout his gospel and epistles. He uses the word world sometimes to refer to the elect. As in John 1, verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. We noted last week, Sunday, the use of the word world in John 3, verse 16, referring again to the world of God's elect and that which will be saved in the new heaven and the new earth. There's also, secondly, a geographical sense in which the word world is used. For instance, in John 16, verse 33. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Speaking of the fact of the world where we live, that as we live here in the midst of this world, there's going to be troubles. And so the world is a reference simply to the place that we live. And the warning that Jesus gives that as you live in the midst of that world, the relationships, the circumstances, the situations are not always going to be pleasant. Jesus stating that the world hated him, and so the world's going to hate us. And so our life then in the midst of the world is going to be at times filled with tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, Jesus says. In that way, he's using world again in a different manner. 
And that's the way in which we find it being used here in 1 John 2. The word world is used sometimes to refer to wickedness and to the wicked. For instance, in John 17, verse 8, or verse 9, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. I don't pray for the world. I pray for those whom thou hast given me. The word world there referring then to the world of the wicked and the wickedness that encompasses the world. It's in that sense that we also think of the fact that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. There's a separation, there's a distinction. As John now uses it, he says, love not the world. That is the world as it comprises wickedness and sin. Now in the beginning, the whole world bowed before God. And there was no confusion, there was no dissonance. Everything was in complete harmony with the will of Jehovah God. But then sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and by that, the world rebelled against God. The world as a whole was affected by that rebellion, so that the world now is in bondage to corruption. And Romans 8 verse 21 speaks of the fact that the whole of the world now, the devil employs in his service and to pursue his evil and wicked ends. At the head of that rebellion is the devil. He's the prince of this world and he now employs everything in his power to pursue corruption and to pursue sin. There's no part of this world that's not soiled by the filthy touch of sin. Every aspect of it. And the devil employs then in every different dimension, in science, in music, in art, in education, literature, in every area, the pursuit of wickedness and the pursuit of sin. Now we find ourselves in the midst of this world and by nature, we're in the service also of the devil. Our flesh is depraved. And as such, our flesh then is inclined to the things that are filthy, the things that are corrupt, the things of this world. Worldliness is a matter then not just of one's actions, it's a matter of one's spirit, one's attitude, one's thoughts. Now by the wonder of God's grace, God has taken his children and he's delivered us. He's given us his spirit so that rather than being governed and directed by the spirit of the world, we're directed by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ as that spirit is poured out in our hearts. And John talks about that here. I write unto you, little children whose sins are forgiven. You are those who have been redeemed. You've been delivered. You've been adopted into the family of the almighty God of heaven and earth. And now you know the things that are right, the things that are good. But it's man's spirit that directs the whole of his being. And either the spirit that controls a man is that which is of God or that which is of the devil. The spirit of God enables a right attitude toward God, a right attitude toward the church, toward fellow saints, toward the world in which we live. The spirit of the world is given over to the lusts of the flesh. Now the sinfulness and the depravity of the world is developing. The Bible talks about that. At work is the devil. And the devil is causing all things to develop to a measure and to a point at which the cup of iniquity will be entirely filled. And at that point, God will send his own son back to bring all things into the final judgment. But worldliness then is not a matter, first of all, of walking in sin and engaging in worldly behavior. It's a matter of the attitude. The attitude that we have toward life. How do we face life? What is our approach in life? Are we caught up with the things that are here below? Are we living for the things of this world? Does the spirit of the world breathe forth and cause us then to have a carnal attitude toward the whole of our life? We're living for self. We're living for our own lusts, our own pleasures, for whatever we can get out of it. And that becomes in the whole of life. It's about my service and Seeking those who will serve me and meet my needs. That's the self-serving, the entitlement that is inherent in our natures. 
That worldly spirit is seen not only around us, it's easily seen in us. There's the worldly speech. So that now what comes out of our lips is that which encompasses cursing and swearing and foul language. Language that doesn't exalt God, it doesn't glorify God, but rather it uses the name of God in vain. So much of the slang and so much of the language of the world falls into that category. Even the things that we would watch, perhaps, seemingly innocent cartoons or perhaps it's when we're gaming. The language that filters through is that which is not godly but worldly. And that worldly spirit then is conveyed in social gatherings as often there's a marked lack of soberness or chastity. Alcohol can have its effect as where alcohol is being used, men and women begin increasingly to be inhibited. And their thoughts now come more freely. Their language becomes more carnal. And their tongues are loosed and they begin to act in ways that reflect the spirit, the way of the world, giving themselves over to all kinds of sins. And the atmosphere that's created by magazines, by newspaper, by the media, is that which promotes this worldliness, this man-centeredness, this pursuit of the things of the flesh. We want to be happy. We want to please ourselves and therefore give ourselves over to all of those activities. And that worldly music then pervades also so much of society. One goes to a restaurant, blaring over the speakers is worldly music with its worldly language. One goes to a bowling alley, one finds the same thing occurring. All around us, this spirit threatens to tear us loose from our spiritual moorings. God has created all creatures good and to be used with thanksgiving to be used for his glory. But even in our eating and drinking, there becomes that worldliness when we're given to gluttony, we're given to excess, we're given to extravagance, we're given to waste. The matter of our dress becomes an issue. How is it that we conduct ourselves as to our bodies? Jesus repeatedly warned, live not as the heathen. Don't walk and dress as those who are like the heathen, you see how they eat, you see how they drink, you see how they clothe themselves. You need to be separate, you need to be different. And chastity then, and all kinds of moderation are the way in which God directs us. As young people, don't dress like the heathen dress. The heathen are the world, they dress as the world, they pursue the things of the world. We're different. And as those who confess Jehovah God as our Father, we live and we dress and we speak in a spirit of sobriety, godliness, and modesty. Love not the world. Worldliness is a way of living that shows our spiritual attitude toward God. And the way in which we are living then is in this way. We're saying God's word, God's promises... That's not really the way it is. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. God said that that's the way we're to live. He said that that would be the way of blessedness. No, 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 no. We know better. This is the way that really will bring joy and happiness. And so we mock God. We mock his word. We mock his kingdom. And we love the world. We love the things of the world. We make them the object of our affection. And we live then for what we can see, what we can touch, what we can enjoy. No Christian may be wrapped up in the things of this world. Love not the world. Again, you're children of your father. Your father hates the wickedness of the world. Your father knows that this world and everything that's in it is going to be cast into everlasting destruction and fire. Don't set your heart on that which is to perish. Rather, pursue the things of his kingdom and his glory. Now, it's better to find for us here in our text all that is in the world, and then it is described by three different things. The lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. And so the spirit of the world comes to expression in these three ways in our lives. First, there's the lust of the flesh. The flesh, our bodies, as to their sinful natures, have demands. They seek things. Now, God has created those demands as good. The sexual desires, God creates the need to eat, the need to drink. But man now uses them in a sinful way and uses them in the service of self. And so the desires then of that depraved nature express themselves increasingly outwardly. And sexual perversion of every sort becomes evident. There's greed, there's drinking to excess, there's pleasure, there's laziness. These lusts have a hold. And what ends up happening is instead of those lusts being viewed as shameful, something that we need to fight, we begin to become comfortable with them. We feel at home with them. The lusts of the flesh. But then there's the lust of the eye, closely related. The eye is the window of the soul. It seeks satisfaction for those lusts that rise up within. And the eyes feed those lusts and fan them into a burning fire within us. David understood the seriousness and the concern of this. When in Psalm 101, after having experienced the troubles that his eyes got him into, pledged before God that he would not allow wicked things to be set before his eyes, he would be careful. That's the carefulness that is required of God's children. But of our nature, there's that lust of the eye. And not only are the lusts indulged in then, but there's an enticement to them. And so there's a desire to look upon these things, to engage them, to fill our eyes with them in order that they feed then the inner depravity of our being. In every age, this has been true. In our age, the devil continues to develop ways in which we can readily access the filth and corruption of the world to feed those lusts. And new inventions are made. Phones, televisions with huge screens so that we can have a very good and a better view of all of this filth and all of this perversion in order that we can give into it. Then there's the pride of life, the vain glory of life. That pride that rises up within us, that serves self, that the only thing really that's important is me and what I get and what I want. And I'm going to use everything around me, not in the service of God and his glory, but for me and for my pleasure and for the pursuit of my enjoyment. Life is ordered then, not according to God's word. Life is ordered now according to the intents of men against God and against his glory. And man in his pride believes that he can be above God, that he can invent things that will prolong his life, that he can find happiness and joy apart from God's word and apart from God's will, that he can overcome God and the judgments even that God says are going to come to pass by living without God and being able somehow to escape that judgment and the hell that will result. Man sets himself up as God and he thinks that he can defy God without consequence. Pride. Now the entertainment, the television programs, the video games of our day are all geared toward that spirit of the world. There is that which perhaps has a degree yet of wholesomeness and that which would direct us to the glory of God but for the most part they're not promoting holiness they're not promoting chastity the emphasis is being willing to accept all peoples to not condemn anything there's no such thing as truth it's a matter of embracing all being willing to compromise in all things And that spirit now is the spirit that subtly comes through cartoons, through video games, through all of the different means that the devil ordains to try to make it so that we lower our guard 
And so that we begin to become more and more influenced by this spirit of the age. There's no such thing as truth. God's word really doesn't matter. God's commandments don't need to be followed. We are able to live for ourselves. We're able to pursue the things that we desire. For the child of God, these things belong to the world. The actors destroying themselves in their immorality and God giving them over to all kinds of sin and destruction. The Bible talks about this in Revelation 17 and 18. This is Babylon. You are my people. Separate from Babylon. The things of Babylon are going to be destroyed. When you sit in front of your television, you sit in the movie theater, are you living out of the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ? Are you living out of the Spirit of the world? Are you walking in love toward your Father or the devil? It doesn't really matter what our answer is. The question is, what would God's judgment be concerning us? And what does God reveal? And while the world is embracing pleasure, embracing sin, living in the pursuit of it, God comes to us and says, Not you! You are my children. I've adopted you into my family. And as my children, you need to walk in the manner in which I walk. Love the things that I love. Pursue the things that I pursue. And say no to the things that I hate. We realize how powerful the agenda of the devil is. We realize how successful he is in our own lives. Who could imagine that homosexuality would be so widely accepted in so short time and that pastors and leaders who would stand up against it would face opposition, liability, legal action, even persecution. Such is the day and age in which we live. The devil making use of universities, education, advertising, social media to promote that worldly wicked agenda and so subtly it begins to take hold of us and we begin to live now as those who are more and more conformed to the world we imagine life and joy and happiness are not so strictly found in the pursuit of God's will but rather we can live apart from God we can live in the ways of sin and we can experience some freedom And like Adam and Eve, we begin to think that happiness is found in the lust of the flesh, the pursuing of our own will in our own way. As children of God, you may not love the world. God's word to his children is, walk as pilgrims, walk as strangers. Do not be tempted by all the glitter, all the glamour of Babylon, because Babylon the great is falling. That's Revelation 18, and Revelation 18 records her devastating downfall. The Word of God throughout all ages is expressed there by the angels. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Are you running and walking with your father or with the world? Now positively, we read here, he that doeth the will of God. God himself has made us to differ. This is a wonder of grace. This is the wonder that these young men confessed before the consistory and before the congregation this evening. God, by a wonder work, has taken hold of me and by his work of grace has so worked in me that I now know a different spirit. It's not the spirit of this world that directs and controls me. It's the spirit of Jesus Christ. The Bible often calls attention to that wonder. Think of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened, that is made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But then what did God do? But God showed mercy. God gave the gift of faith. God worked a wonder by which now he works in us in order that we might do the works that he has before ordained that we walk in. And as new creatures of Christ, we are now renewed in the true knowledge, holiness, and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're called now to walk in those works that are pleasing to God. Works that God has before ordained, that he's working in and through us, so that our lives now shine in the midst of this wicked world. We shine as lights. We show forth his praise. And we live as those who are not of the world, those who are in the world, but those who are of our Heavenly Father. John is talking here to dear children, his dear spiritual children who have been given to know and to understand the joy and the wonder of their salvation. They've been delivered from the lust of the flesh. In Jesus Christ, they've been given to know the love of God as a power in their lives and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now we know the battle. The battle yet remains because as long as we're in this flesh, that sinful nature is still within us. Romans 7 is real. The good that I would, I don't do. The evil that I would not, I still find myself doing. But in the midst of that battle, we confess the victory belongs to Jesus Christ. And we cling to him through whom we shall do valiantly. We are called to be a special, peculiar people unto the Lord. And positively then, we need to set our affection on the things that are above. Our whole life, all of our conversation as Christians, our speech, our conduct, our attitude, needs to be heavenly in perspective. As God's holy, peculiar people, our chief interest in life is to praise God. God has called us. He set us apart now and he says, you are to live unto me. Show forth my praise. Shine in the midst of this world as those that stand out. And we seek to show that in every area of our life. Our speech is going to be different. Our dress is going to be different. Our entertainment is going to be different. The way we spend our time is going to be different. The way we use our money is going to be different. The things of God and the truth of his kingdom fill our hearts souls and our minds and cause us to be willing to sacrifice, willing to give up of the things of this life for the sake of the pursuit of that which is right, that which is good, that which is pleasing in the sight of our God. And we're committed to doing that out of thankfulness. This is my father. He's adopted me into his family and I'm to live now as a representative of that glorious family. I'm no longer in the family of the devil. I don't pursue the will of his pursuits, the lies, the corruption, the filth, but I now seek to live as a child of God. But you say, how can I overcome that weakness? How can I overcome those fleshly desires and lusts that rise up every single day? Beloved, stop feeding the old man. That old man, every day, rises up with its lusts, its desires, its passions. And what do we do? We give in. We feed the old man. We give in with our eyes. We feast on the filth and the corruption. And we allow that old man to be fed. Those desires to rise up. Develop new, better habits. Get rid of those things that lead us into sin. We remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 5. If your arm is offending you, pluck it off. Get rid of it. If your eye is leading you into sin, get rid of your eye. How much easier your phone or your computer or the internet or cable. Get rid of those things that are leading you into sin. If it's a friend, you might have to 
not spend time with that friend anymore this week. If it's going somewhere that leads you into sin, you better not go there anymore. Develop godly habits. Don't give in to those temptations and don't put yourself in those circumstances that will lead you into temptation. Looking on the things that will entice. Turn toward those things that are good, those things that are lovely, those things that encourage God's Word is our encouragement. Be in the Word. Meditate on God's commandments. Know yourself and hold back from certain things because you know who you are. You're a child of your Heavenly Father. And that's not how your Father would want you to conduct yourself. And so you hold back because you love God. You stop loving the world. And you start walking more consciously with your Heavenly Father. Even within the Church of Jesus Christ, there's struggles in that regard. And we realize there's going to be different perspectives among even Christians. There's going to be some who are going to strive to be more diligent, more sensitive, even as Abraham perhaps. Others that are more like Lot. We recognize the need then to be careful not to be quick to judgment. We bring God's word. We may admonish. We need to correct. But there's patience that's required. Not all are on the same spiritual level. Some, the work of sanctification is working in more advanced ways than in others. Never justifying sin. Never justifying a walk with sin. But patience exerted in order to Seek to convince those who perhaps are walking in ways of sin of their ways. To see the judgment of God. To see the need to turn. But other differences also are going to be evident. And we know that perhaps from our parents or our grandparents. Some members of the church, godly men and women, will see it as their responsibility increasingly to withdraw from that which is not directly religious and spiritual. They're going to see their own weaknesses and they're going to know the wisdom of not engaging in things because too quickly, too easily, they'll be led into sin. And so, for instance, they may not want a television in their home. They may not desire computer access in their home. They may say it's best that we don't have the internet. It's best that we don't have cable TV. If they do have internet access, they're going to make sure that it's only with strict filters so that they don't allow the filth of the internet into their homes. They're not going to have contact with those who are living as the world, and they're trying to shelter their children from that. They may take the perspective, we're not going to watch major league ball games, because those individuals, for the most part, are Sabbath desecrators. They're living in the pursuit of sin. Why would we want our children to have them as their role models? And so some sensitivities exist there, being careful as to what they allow in their homes, what they allow their children to pursue. They may take the perspective, we're not going to go to a beach, we're not going to go to a swimming pool because to do so is going to bring me into temptation because I know that my eyes are going to be inclined to fall on things because those that are attending those places are not dressing modestly and it may then cause me to be falling into temptation. It's better then that I abstain altogether. They may be careful about what stores they support, saying, I don't want to promote this store because these stores promote more evil pursuits. I want to pursue the things that are more controlled and therefore seek to use my money in a manner that promotes those who likewise are pursuing the things of God's kingdom. Others, as faithful, pious members of God's church, walking in devotion to God, may not see it as their responsibility to maintain as physical of a separation, but understand the spiritual separation and remain distinct in the manner in which they conduct themselves by their witness and by their testimony. In years past, there have been those who, when they had to work on Sunday, would not keep the money. They did not want to get caught up in the greed and covetousness that would encourage them to continue to take employment on the Lord's day. Others recognize that reality and conduct themselves in a manner that keeps themselves from temptation. 
Others yet would say some of these are matters of Christian liberty, and therefore we have liberty. And important it is then that we not rise up in judgment one over another, but that we maintain our walk, first of all, before God. Standing before God and knowing the calling that our Father directs our way. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. If you do so, you give evidence the love of your Father is not in your heart. You need to love me. Pursue the things of my kingdom. And walk in a manner then that reflects that love. And we must not fall prey to the temptation of the devil, the admonition of the apostle, that we use our liberty as an occasion to sin. That also can become a temptation. We justify ourselves. And we justify ourselves too quickly, too readily, in ways that we ought not. What is clearly condemned by God and his word may never be justified in your life and in mine. When we walk contrary to God's will and God's word and others come with an admonition, our calling is to turn and to recognize Jehovah God is the one whom we are to serve. What is the blessedness, beloved, of this walk? First, let's look at the contrast. The world passeth away, and the lusts thereof. The love of the Father is not in him. Verse 15. Those who are walking with the world in all of its lusts, all of its pleasures, all of its pursuits, need to realize that's all passing away. It's constantly the opposite of that which is abiding. There's that which abides, and there's that which perishes. Are you living for the things that perish, or are you living for the things that abide? There's nothing in this world that's abiding, nothing in this world that's stable. Their songs, their philosophy, their education, their joys, their pleasures, their riches, their achievements, they're all constantly changing, like shifting sand. And all their power, all their glory diminishes just as the fog diminishes with the rising of the morning sun it's gone and why is it that they perish because the love of the father is not in them the source of the systems of this world is not the father it's the devil and the devil has been overcome by the work of our lord jesus christ he's crushed his head in principle, and the devil, with all of his pursuits, will be destroyed. He'll be cast into hell with all of his demons and the whole of wickedness. The Father's love is the only thing that endures. God and those whom God loves will endure to all eternity. Everything else will perish everlastingly in hell. Do you want to live for and love the things that perish? Do you want to love the things that Jesus does not love? Jesus said, I love not the world, but those whom the Father has given me. Those are the ones who I pray for, not the world. Do you want to love that which your Father hates? Do you think that you can find life where there's only death? He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Those who do the will of God are those who confess their sin, those who acknowledge their need for Jesus Christ, those who confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. They live a life of faith, battling against and fighting against sin, knowing that while they are weak, their strength is found in Jesus Christ and the power of His Spirit. And they go forward then, conquering in the strength of their Father. We love God. We confess Him as our Father. And we love the things that our Father loves. By the power of regeneration, we seek the things of our adopted family. We seek the things that are right. He who embraced us in love, He who looked down upon us in mercy, He who works grace in our hearts, stirs us up to love the things that he loves and to say no to the things that he hates. And God's covenant love draws us to himself and works in us that joy, that delight, and that obedience. 
We still sin. We struggle with those desires. We fight against them. We embrace our Father God and we seek to pursue His will. And we trust that He will give me the strength to be victorious in temptation. It may mean that I have to go home and I have to get rid of some things. It may mean that I have to not spend time again with family or with a friend. It may be that I have to go home and pray for the grace to turn away from the world in this coming week. But by His Spirit, we press on, knowing and believing that He is faithful, who has called us and will equip us in the midst of this battle. Beloved, a hundred years ago, our mother denomination issued this stern warning. How much more is it needed today? It's needed in our homes as parents. It's needed in our lives as young people. It's needed with respect to our little children. Love not the world. Look to Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. And as you men made confession of faith, look to Jesus Christ. You confess him, he forgives you all your lusts, all your sins, and he strengthens you to walk obediently before him. He strengthens us as thankful children of our Heavenly Father to pursue His will and to do what is right and pleasing in His sight. And so don't allow your eyes to delight in the lustful products of the warped human mind that lead to hell. Don't allow the facade, the facade of glory and happiness that the world seeks to convey as that which would entice us but we maintain that way that is the way of our heavenly father that way that leads to the way everlasting amen our father who art in heaven forgive us thou dost know how earthly minded we are how inclined we are to live for the things that thou dost hate lord forgive us strengthen us in our pursuit of the things that are right and lovely and work in us that true joy and thankfulness. And how grateful we are that thou hast looked upon us and given unto us to know that joy and that hope that is spiritual and heavenly. That we live not for the things that perish, but that we live out of that life that is from above. That life that will endure to all eternity. And that we might set our heart and our eyes then on the things that are right. The things that are pleasing. The things that are spiritual and heavenly. Preserve and keep us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to Psalter.